From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Presented by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hello, welcome to Bridging Philly. The pool of candidates running for city council in Philadelphia continues to grow, and one person who's throwing their hat into the ring made a name for himself as a former trash man cleaning up the streets of Philadelphia. We sit down with Terrell Hagler, a.k.a. your fave trash man. I don't care about how you identify as, because that's your business. Let's, Let's stay out of people's business, but let's get into the business of what decisions and legislation are you presenting and supporting that's going to make be the best for Philadelphians in the long run. Mm-hmm. How do we get my children, your children, generations to come to to inherit a Philadelphia at its best version? Like, we're going to pass down a Philadelphia. We've been passing down a crappy Philadelphia for a couple of decades. When does it change? Shara Day Howard sits in for Antoinette Lee and has our Philly Rising changemaker this week. Crystal Jackson is founder of a local nonprofit called Perfectly Flawless. It's a Germantown group that provides clothing for community members in transition. Accept, love, empower, trust, and most importantly, forgive yourself because you are perfectly flawless. All of that is straight ahead and coming up on Bridging Philly. This is Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. Well, you probably heard the news about our friend, the friend of the show, Terrell Hagler. He is, of course, also known as your fave trash man. He has made quite a name for himself, and he has decided to throw his hat into the ring for city council at large. We're here to talk about that and more. Welcome to the program, Terrell Hagler. Thanks for having me. Hey, Raquel. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Listen, we've been following you for a while. Everyone at the station has been following you since you, you know, started your whole uh, campaign for cleaning up the city. Uh, You wrote your children's books and Mm -hmm. we've checked in you uh, checked in with you on that. So we have to check in with you on this next adventure. This is quite an adventure. uh, And we'll talk about the fact that you are going to be running. You are running for a. city government, uh, city council at large. But first, let's get some background on you. For those who may not know, I wouldn't know why people doesn't, wouldn't know because <laughs> you have to be living under a trash can if you don't I know. Like ter- that. I like that. <laughs> if you don't know Terrell's story. So let's talk about that. Um, you have a rise to fame that you kind of created this persona of your fave trash man all by yourself after leaving your sanitation job. Tell us all about that. Yeah. So I started working for the streets department in 2019 Uh, December 30th was my first day. We know March 2020 hit and the pandemic was here and she was not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And my first three months of sanitation were probably the golden years for me. I just had the route down pack. It was just so normal. I could get up and do it in my sleep. Once the pandemic hit, uh, uh, as they say, stuff went left. You know, it was Mm -hmm. just so hard. 30% more trash on the ground. 400 sanitation workers catching COVID and quarantining. I mean, was working double shifts just to get the the end of the route because we were filling the trucks up so fast. Um, And I was like, there's so much misinformation out here. There's so much anger, so much animosity. There's no communication. What can I do to make sure I stay safe, my coworkers stay safe? 
So I started an Instagram highlighting, you know, all the things that sanitation workers were going through at the time, my suggestions on how to make our job easier, because I'm somebody that likes to work smarter and not harder. And I was able to galvanize and organize a whole movement around uh, sanitation workers being considered essential workers. And the, the city of Philadelphia, again, I give credit. I could not have be, been your favorite trash man without the support of the city because mm-hmm. everyone jumped on board and said yes to, you know, supporting sanitation workers. So we mm-hmm. had water, we had uh, snacks, people were buying the T-shirts so that we could buy gloves and PPE and cleaning supplies. And we had uh, Mission Taqueria come and feed my yard and drop off 100 burritos for lunch. We just had so much support and it happened so fast that when I looked up, I was like, it's, it's been a year already. Like, what? Well, thank you, Philly. Um, mm-hmm. And then from there, I just uh, found that the blight and litter on the ground was a huge issue. And mm-hmm. as a sanitation worker cleaning the city, I wanted to do more. Right. So I started organizing neighborhood cleanups. And really, that's it. what ignited in me. It was like, you know, the, the saying that a cleaner city is a safer city. Mm-hmm. So, like, the fact that, you know, we're going through all this gun violence, we're trying to reach our children, we're trying to do all these things in the, in the community, in the neighborhood, but people don't even like living where they live because of the trash. So I wanted to do what I could with my platform to make people feel seen, acknowledge, start people to invest in these disinvested communities. And the rest is history. I'm here now talking to Raquel. <laughs> that, that's awesome. I do love your story. Of course, I've heard it, but it, it never gets old. It's a great story. And sometimes I wonder to myself, you know, you could have just walk and walked away from that whole thing and just, you know, found something else to get into. But um, I, I, I'm assuming that this is truly your passion, clean cities, cleaning up where you live cleaning up Philadelphia. Why are you so passionate about it? Why didn't you just walk away and go, you know what, I'm just going to just do something else? Honestly, it's, it's the fact that I'm a dad. You know, at the time, my my children were going to school in the city, and we would walk past trash, and my youngest would go, how come our neighborhood looks like this, but when we go downtown, it looks different? Right. And then I started thinking about all the other children that walk in this same neighborhood, and, and do they have the same thoughts like, We've normalized living in trash because our grandmothers did it, our mothers did it. Now we think we have to. And I'm like, no matter your zip code, you deserve to live on a clean street. My children deserve to ride their bikes up and down the street without tripping over needles and glass and trash and, you know, being chased by rodents. And like we we that's a whole mental thing. It's It's creating a conducive environment for our children to succeed in. So it's it was like, what can I do as your favorite trash man with this platform, with somebody's ears to, to you know, to, to educate, advocate and then integrate. Right. That's like my three pillars of your favorite trash man. I want to always want to educate mm-hmm. the city and, and the public and the world about why sanitation is so important. Then I always want to advocate for the frontline workers, the sanitation workers, the people who are on the front lines doing the work day in and day out without taking a break. And then I want to integrate everybody into this system of saying yes to a clean whatever. Right. Yes to a clean school. Yes to a clean block. Yes to a clean office. Yes to a clean lunchroom. Yes to a clean playground. Because when we get into that mindset, we'll see a psychological effect on our children, on ourselves. And when you're in a better mindset, you make better decisions. Again, you know, gun violence is the number one issue in this city, public safety, but it comes from people making poor decisions who are in poor positions. Right. Cleaning the neighborhood, adding green spaces, getting people involved, puts people in better positions to make better decisions. 
I love the fact that you talk a lot about your kids and the fact that your children uh, are your motivation actually was your motivation for the book that you wrote, the children's book. It was. And uh, they didn't think that sanitation was such a cool job. And uh, <laughs> Not at but, all. But <laughs> uh, now they think uh, dad is pretty cool. Tell us about that. Yeah, no. Uh, again, again, my kids are, uh, you know, I, make, I made a lot of bad decisions in my life. But one of the greatest ones I did was becoming a father mm. because it matures you so quickly. Oh, yeah. And I became a father at 22, right? Mm. Um, and then I had another one 13 months later. So I had two under two. Wow. <laughs> wow. Right, right. But what it taught me was patience. But what it taught me also was to look at things from a different perspective. Here I have a human being that has nothing no no tools, no anything mm. for life. And it is my assignment mm-hmm. to give this person all the tools that they need to be a citizen, a productive citizen, just a, a, a positive impact on their community. And it is my job to make sure that they have it. And so when, I, when it comes to my children and it comes to their learning curve and it comes to them being exposed to things— so you you already know the, the the broader the exposure, the more rounded the person is. So I love to put my kids in position to be able to deal with any situation. You know, you know, I was a dancer, uh, and when I was getting That's right. yeah, when I was getting classically trained in ballet and hip hop and tap, uh, I'll never forget my dance teacher. Shout out to Patricia Scott Hobbs from Freedom Theater. She said to me one day, you know, do you know why I'm so hard on you? And I'm like, absolutely not. You could, you mind telling me why? <laughs> and she said, because I'm not teaching the dancer you are now. I'm teaching the dancer you'll be in 10 years. Mm. And the dancer you'll be in 10 years is going to have to go through a whole lot. Right. So I have to equip you to be ready for the stage 10 years from now. And that has always stuck with me yes. when it comes to my children. I, I'm not. I'm not raising my children to be who they are now. I'm raising them to be problem solvers for things that are going to come in life that daddy cannot help you with. You're going to have to have tools in your bag to deal with racism, to deal with, you know, sexism, to deal with someone thinking you're not adequate, someone thinking you're dumb, someone backstabbing you. Daddy's not going to be able to you know, tangibly help you. Right. But what I can do is instill those work ethics and those tools in your life to make sure that you're okay. And that's how I see Philadelphia. That's kind of why I want I want to ignite tools for the city to use to make sure that the next generation is okay. But then this generation currently goes from survival mode to thrival mode. Mm-hmm. I like how you say that this is your assignment uh, to, you know, help your kids for who they're going to be uh, in the future. And uh, now you have given yourself a new assignment, (laughs) so to speak. So the kids didn't think the sanitation was so cool, but of course they learned that it was after a while. What do they think about uh, politics? All they know is that city council (laughs) members work at City Hall um, and that they get to make rules and decisions. So I've already had my first legislation proposal for Robux. <laughs> my okay. son was my son thinks that Robux should come as a as a uh, he wants me to write legislation around Robux being free. He doesn't think it's right that we have to pay for Robux. Then we have to talk about, you know, national, federal, state. I said, I only deal with Philadelphia. She was like, <laughs> he, he was like, well, we can start here. We can make <laughs> Robux free in Philly. So mm-hmm. but it's the engagement for me. It's the engagement about voting. It's the engagement about voter registration. It's the like my 11 year olds, I was like, you know, you can knock doors with them, right? You can come canvas with daddy. You can right. knock doors and say, I'm Terrell Hagler, your fave trash man daughter, and I want you to vote for him. And it's, it's that type of engagement that I didn't have as a kid, but now I know I can involve my children. And again, an 11 year old 
doing GOTV now, imagine what she'll do at 18 in college yeah. when it comes to student government and voting and running camp. And, like, and that's that exposure is right. how we shift the narrative of where our children can go. Now, you haven't, you mentioned that you haven't been a trash man, so to speak, since 2021. Um, 2020. 2020. Yeah, 2020. June 17th, 2020 was my first post. That was your first. Okay. So it's been two years. Two, A little over two yeah, years. Okay. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Two years of advocacy. Yes. Thank you. Uh, so let's talk now. Why are you interested in politics? I'm interested because uh, as an activist in the city and working with the city, uh, and there's no knock to city council now. I don't see a full circle representation of the of every single Philadelphian on council. Um, you know, we there are some people on council who we just need to have that perspective of that everyday Philadelphian that's working a nine to five, that's um, you know going from point A to point B, making things work. And then we have we have versions of that, but I think. When it comes to what I see and what I want council to make decisions for, I don't see it always represented when it comes to decision making. So I want to be that working voice that's like that liaison between community and council. Like I literally started in community. I was born and raised in North Philadelphia by Temple's campus, raised by a single mother and a mm-hmm. grandmother. Like mm-hmm. I've had 19 jobs, so I know how hard the workforce is. Like I've, you know, been in and out of unions. I've worked at a nonprofit. I've done so many things that had so much exposure that I can almost relate to any type of situation anybody's in. And I know when it comes to decision making for the city and how we're spending tax dollars and when it comes to children and programming and resources, there's a huge gap and what we perceive we want and what's actually needed for mm-hmm. you know and there's like a little disconnect and i want to be that that connection on council it's like hey actually folks in community really need their light bills paid like we could do this turkey drive and they going to eat today right but half these folks ain't going to have electricity by next week so let's figure out a way where we can maybe create you know, a stipend or a grant or something where folks in this district and folks in that district can apply for a guaranteed grant and they get $500 towards their light bill because the city has extra money because we were able to reallocate money and do, Mm -hmm. like, it's just out-of-the-box ideas like that that I think when I say to folks, they get really excited about. You know, I have a lot of -of out-of-the-box ideas about the libraries. Like, I think... The library should be fully funded because the, the libraries could be a safe haven. I, I said this idea the other day. Imagine if we added recording studios to the library. Imagine that. How many kids would be lined around the corner to record a song, to record right. a podcast, to, re- to do spoken word? Imagine if our libraries were fully funded and we had engineers that then had a program to teach our children how to mix their own podcasts and songs and recordings and stuff like that. And then it's a program that our free library has. Instead of these kids being on the street Saturday morning and getting into mischiefs because they don't have anything to do, they could sign up for a program and then go sign and, and, and go record a song and then upload it to iCloud. And then maybe a Philly native like Mont Brown, who's you know with Columbia Records, hears it and be like, oh, that's my hometown. This is a song. And imagine the shift and perspective and opportunity for that child that went to the free library for a program mm-hmm. instead of being on the corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's absolutely uh, a great idea. Actually, Thank you. It's something I'm that glad I've, you I've like never it. heard that idea before. So that is definitely one that is 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 new 
And I could see that being pretty popular. You know, you're such an advocate and you do a, such a lot of grassroots type of work. Uh, do you think the title politician is something that you would wear as well as you wear these other titles since you're so grassroots? Or would you just say you're the common man that wants to use politics to push things more forward? I, I'm going to be honest. I hate the word politician. Uh, it. It creates such a degree of separation from normal folk. And again, I know I have the Instagram and I have this and I have that. And people recognize me when I'm walking in Target and stuff. But <laughs> it's I'm I I want to be accessible. The the you know, I'm actually the older I get, I'm finding there's different values in things. And I think accessibility is more valuable than money. Having access to someone who has resources is can be more valuable and ha- than money or having access to someone with knowledge. And I want to be someone who's accessible to my community. So I, I like to say a person in position of power, right? Mm-hmm. And when I say power, I mean just power in making decisions based off of his grassroots or his community or her grassroots or their or they, like all at inclusivity. Mm-hmm. That's what I want. I want everybody to feel that when city council makes a decision for the city of Philadelphia, every single Philadelphian will be affected in a positive way. And in order for that to happen, you have to have every single perspective at the table. So when it's, when you say politician, my back itch a little bit. I'm like, <laughs> no, don't. Uh-huh. You know? I got that impression. And then, and then like, you know, I'm a, I'm a September Virgo, so I have like— I have a trigger with labels. Like, don't put a label on me. I'm just Terrell. So I understand. So don't put me in a box, Philadelphia. I just, I really want to see Philadelphia be its best version Mm -hmm. at all times. And I feel like my out-of-the-box idea is something new, but it's also things that I think, you know, people are, like, thinking about in other ways. I know I'm not... You know, I'm not some genius. I'm not Stephen Hawkins. I'm not, you know, curing cancer here. But what I'm doing is I'm simplifying local government. Mm. I think local government has been so complicated. Nobody understands it. I like I ask people like, you know, how do you report illegal dumping? Oh, I don't know. I call the cops. Well, no, you're supposed to call 311, actually. Like, so I think it's just so complicated. And then my skill at communicating um there's not a lot of communication back and forth. So there's mm-hmm. not like a, a broad, vague, something my six-year-old six would understand. So I want to just simplify local government so that when we get down to the bones, people understand it. They know what to do. Because, again, when you know better, you, you do, do better. better. Absolutely. So you think you can make a greater impact in these communities of being involved in city government than you can now as a one-man person that advocates for clean streets and the like. I do. I do. I think the resources that comes with the the, the council seat, but also the, the notoriety and the, also the ability to have access to other parts of this city. Like, as a city council person, I will have access to talking to, you know, President Clark and other uh, council members and other districts. Like, hey, this is an idea I have for your district uh, at KNA and this and the third as an advocate it's sometimes even me it's hard to get through to those phone numbers and hard to get through through those text messages and those emails mm-hmm. because there's so much of the work and body going on so I'm like instead of I put it to you like this I could be somebody outside the bubble that uses the bubble as a resource. Bubble means city government. Okay. But I can make a bigger impact if I was inside the bubble and opened up the bubble for access. Understand. Understand. What exposure to politics have you had 
up until this point? Perhaps people aren't familiar with your involvement with, with government in the past. Sure. So my first exposure was I ran, uh, I, I was like, uh, I did like some subfield operations for some judges uh, and 2021 in February for their judicial races. And mm-hmm. that's when I was like walking doors. I was canvassing. I drove up to Harrisburg and did the whole petition process. And I was just being a sponge at that point. I was just learning. Um, and then I had the opportunity to be deputy campaign manager in Norristown um, for okay. Dustin Queenan, who ran for the third district and won. Okay. Um, and I was his deputy campaign manager and his field operations. So I got a big, uh, again, Norristown was small, but it was a great practice for me to understand how, you know, how field operations work, being a deputy campaign manager, you know, getting out the vote, uh, messaging, you know, all the things that come along, fundraising, events, you know, I, I, you know, I love events. So that was like <laughs> right. the field, being outside and, and having people reg- re- roll to registration, like all of those things uh, really gave me a real good scope on whether or not I think I would like to do it for myself or do it for somebody else. And I decided to do it for myself. Now, you're running as a Democrat. Now, is this the way you've always voted? Is there a particular reason why you're voting? You're running as a Democrat? I've always voted as a Democrat, you know, generations of Democrats. But, and, and then there's that whole, you know, label thing. Like, you know, you have your progressives and your socialists mm-hmm. and your leftists. And then you have the independent parties and the working family parties. And and for me, I, I'm so intricate and out the box that I agree with almost every single point with everybody sometimes. And I know that looks like walking the fence. But as my ideology as a as someone who has no political ties right now in the city is like, why don't we just take all the good ideas from everybody and put them in a good gumbo pot for Philly? Why do we have to just vote because we're a Republican? So we got to vote all Republican. Why do we just got to vote Democratic? Because we only got to be Democratic, Socialist, Independent Party. Why do we got to let's just take all the good ideas, put them in a pot Stir that bad baby up, season it, you know, <laughs> and now now we have just a gumbo pot of great ideas from all perspectives. So that's how I like to I like to look at things is if you have a good idea and I have a good idea, it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or Democratic. Are the people of Philadelphia going to be affected in a positive way? And through through my advocacy work, I've had to walk work across the aisle, had to work with people I don't agree with. Right. And it's taught me like. You don't have to agree with somebody to make a great decision for millions of people. Right. There's and common ground. There's there's common ground. And yeah. I think that's where we lose. And that's why titles kind of trigger me because like I'm being loyal to this title or to this box. And then if I step outside that box because I think this is a good idea, then my box is mad at me. And then I yeah. got to try to play with the I'm not, I'm we too old for that. We too old for that. <laughs> right. Let's just make decisions based on the best possible outcome for Philadelphians. And if that means that you're a Republican, but you got this great idea, then I'm going to support it. Right. And then as my other Democratic friends, if you get mad at that, then are you mad at that or are you mad at the idea? Because now I'm confused. Right. And then that's how we need to, that's how we need to vet candidates. That's how we need to question candidates. I don't care about how you identify as, because that's your business. Let's, let's stay out of people's business, but let's get into the business of what decisions and legislation are you presenting and supporting that's going to make be the best for Philadelphia in the long run mm-hmm. how do we get my children your children generations to come to to inherit a philadelphia at its best version like we're going to pass down a philadelphia we've been passing down a crappy philadelphia for a couple of decades 
when does it change? Right. And, you know, my mom says, you know, you know, uh, I talk about my mom a lot because she's also a lot of my inspiration, you know, and I lost her in 2020. Oh, and sorry. so but one of the things she always said to me was like what, what she didn't understand about you know Philly and the world is that we keep passing down the same problems. Right. How do we expect some child to cure cancer if we can't even cure education? We can't even we can't even solve the, the get in our schools and at a conducive environment where the ACs work and the food is good and all the teachers are fully funded and they have a book for everybody or not even books now, laptops and iPads for everybody. How do we get past that point so that there's some little girl, some little boy in kindergarten right now that's going to grow up with all the tools to cure cancer? It's time to solve some issues so that we can pass down new problems mm -hmm. so that new problems get solved. And that's how we advance. That's how we advance our community. Well, so far you've had, you've made your your efforts pretty clear, and we'll talk even more about it. But I'm going to play devil's advocate for a quick second. Oh, please do. <laughs> this is a good test. Here's a question: What does a trash man know about running or being a part of city government? What does a trash man know about city government? Well, here's the thing: everybody's a trash man at this point, right? Everybody's <laughs> done some type of cleaning or mm -hmm. or or. Uh, uh, clean up and their block. So I think we're all trash men and trash women at heart. But to answer your question, what I know is that I serve my community. And in my community, there are some real high-level priority concerns that are not being met. And the more and more I talk to my community and the more and more I'm in my community, the more and more I come up with ideas. And the only way these ideas are ever going to be taken seriously or heard is if I'm at the decision-making table. So if I have a bunch of community members that support me and support what I do in community and would like to see it on a larger scale, then I believe that's what I know about politics is that we have some things that are hurting our city and that we need some ideas that are going to help our city. And if we have a group of people that are not being heard, not being acknowledged or feel unseen, and I can speak for them and bring their perspective to the table, that's all I need to know about politics. Of course, you know, we all know when you make when you when you if you when and if you become a city council member, they give you a class and you do the quorum and you get to hire a staff and you have all that. But I think it starts with an idea. And that's something that also I'm not scared of. I'm not scared to ask for help. I'm not scared to pit people around me who are smarter than me. I'm not scared to pit people around me who know more than me. Because I, I say all the time, and, and when it comes to the waste industry, because people like to say I'm the face of the waste industry, I'm still a baby in the waste industry. I'm two and a half years in, right? But I just have a really loud cry. So I allow my cry to attract people who can put us in better positions. Like I'll give you a little, a little uh, insight. This is a breaking news. I recently had a meeting with someone from California that writes policies around environmental justice, sustainable packaging, um, just all those types of things. And I said, how long have you been doing policies in California? Oh, I've been doing it for 45 years. Oh, okay. You'll be in Philly soon. You down to meet and just talk, and I can tell you, like, what Philly is going through. And then we end up spending about six hours together. Her name oh. is Heidi. Mm -hmm. And she just gave me her professional thoughts on what policy change could look like 
in Philadelphia when it comes to environmental justice? Like, how do we write a policy around, you know, making sure this, the streets stay clean? And, like, what does it actually look like? Like, giving me the whole process because I don't know. And I'm not I'm not going in naive thinking I'm going to go in and push a button and everything's going to go well. I'm not going in like that. Right. But I understand there's going to be a process. You have to get votes. You have to get a committee. You have to do that. Like I, I've been around and I work with city council enough to know that. But what I'm excited about is the opportunity to bring all different aspects of my life, all different experiences, all different exposures together in one room and one pot on one thing and really push Philadelphia forward. Well, the elephant in the room of any discussion involving politics in Philadelphia is gun violence. Mm -hmm. Um, It is crippling. It is troubling. It makes a lot of people feel like there are no safe spaces for kids now. We all know the situation. I agree. And so tell me your thoughts on the situation of gun violence in Philadelphia and what needs to be done. Yeah, so gun violence to me is a multi-layered solution. I don't think there's one single solution that's going to solve the gun violence. So I'll give you my few thoughts. One is I truly believe these children have not been able to deal with trauma over the last two and a half years. You think about it. Uh, When you think about your childhood, what's one of the first things you remember? Graduation and prom. There's some of these kids that didn't get to graduate and there's some of these kids that didn't have prom. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a that's something to deal with that they haven't been able to talk about. We've just made them go through the pandemic, sent them off to college or sent them off to work. So, again, we're, we're not addressing some of the trauma or all of the trauma that these children are having. And in that trauma, they're making horrible decisions. So one for me, we need to kind of get to the point of conflict resolution Like, we need to really sit some of these children down or catch them where they are or go on the corner and be like, hey, like, is everything okay? Like, why are you? Like, that's the kind of guy I am. I walk up to anybody, like, you need anything? I'm going into the store. You want something? You you meet them where they are and Mm -hmm. you, 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 you extend an olive branch and people open up a little bit. Second thing is resources. Some of these kids are out here selling drugs because they're 19 and they got to provide for their four younger siblings. Right. So they're they don't have enough resources or opportunity to make an honest living. So what's the quickest way in Philly is either drugs or real estate. So everybody's doing drugs or real estate. Right. Interesting. This this is what I'm getting from community. Mm -hmm. So everybody's trying to get into real estate and investing and everybody's getting into drugs and what, what, what they say now flipping bricks and stuff like that. And I think if we were if there were more opportunities and more options for people to expand their exposure to. So here's another idea I have. The school district, we know, we know the reading level is off. We know, you know, all the things that's wrong with the school district. And I I really uh, have faith that, you know, with the new superintendent, things will start to get better. But again, it's going to take time. Imagine if we put a program in place today that juniors and seniors, one, have finance classes, right? So they actually learn what their FICO score was, what their experience was, all those things. They know how credit cards work. They know how mortgages work. They start learning that in high school, like 17, 18. So they, when they got that first credit card, they can expand on it and not max out. And their credit score goes from a 780 to a 420. But two, what if we had pipeline programming? School is not for everybody. Let's just be honest. School wasn't for me. I did a a year of college, dropped out, and joined a dance company. Mm -hmm. But I had student loans. But if I would have known this wasn't for me in the beginning, I know that it was okay and I wasn't pushed to go to college, I wouldn't have went. 
Imagine if we had a pipeline program where we had the trades, we had CDL schools, we had all these things in our school district already, right? So you're a junior, you're a senior. We have the vocational schools. Half the day you're going to school. The other half you're going to a, a construction job learning carpentry with Turner Construction, with with Intech, with Dumas Construction, these big construction companies that are building high-rises, but you're there getting credits for school while you're learning the, the, the trade. And then you become a senior, and then now you're working. So now you go to school half the day, and you're getting paid, and you're still in the apprenticeship. But you just did two years of an apprenticeship under a master carpenter. What's the next step to do? Apply for the union. Mm-hmm. What does that do for your life to graduate high school, knowing that you want to be a carpenter? You get into the carpenter's union, and now you're making 65, 70 grand a year out of high school. Okay. okay. What does that do, right? What does that do? It diverts all the attention that you would have been doing shooting and game banging on the street. So you were so locked into this trade to make money, to provide for your family, to learn your craft. You didn't have time to be on the street with the homies because you got a bigger cause. You got more opportunity. You got more exposure. So creating programs like that, I think, will definitely put a dent in the gun violence. So we have the creating trade, uh, trade and vocational programs in the schools, finance classes. We have conflict resolution. And then my last thing is honestly just bare-bottom resources, like going into community and going, what will it take for you to get off the corner? Having these open, safe spaces where people feel like, listen, I'm out here because I got a record and I can't get a job nowhere else. Well, okay, let me take you to Pulse. Let me let me let me let me call somebody at Pulse and let's get your record expunged. That way you can apply for it. Or, you know, Jeff Brown, love him. He when you get a job at ShopRite, I found out that if you have a record and you get a job at ShopRite, they pay for the expulsion. Okay. So it's okay. just knowledge. It's like it's just knowing things like that. So I think people feel in those positions, when I talk to community, that they have no other options but to be out here, but to be gangbanging, to, to do stuff. And then you know, on the flip side is is they don't have no outlet. You know, I told you I was a dancer. The arts is a big outlet for me. These kids are doing donuts at City Hall because they don't have nothing else to do because mm-hmm. the library is closed at four. There's no piles. There's no recreation centers. There's, the, there's nothing for them to do. Imagine if we built them an ATV park. Okay. Imagine if okay. they had their own park to ride their bikes, to ride their ATVs. We had diesel gas on site, but then we started hiring them to watch the park and hiring them, we put a storage unit there. So these these bikes aren't allowed to leave the the premises. Everybody got to keep your bikes here, but this is your park. It is a self-ran dirt bike park or ATV park. Imagine the responsibility we put on them and say, this goes as far as you go. So if you want this mm-hmm. to stay open, you have to be responsible. You have to, when, when the diesel run out, you have to make a report and call. Like imagine the responsibility you right. give them for something that they want to do anyway. Right. Well, Sorrel, you are definitely a visionary. I have to say that <laughs> you have lots of ideas, and you know, and it's and it's obvious that uh, you're passionate about what you do, from your kids to cleaning up s- streets and wanting to move Philadelphia forward. Uh, I'm glad we had a chance to have this talk. How can people get in touch with you? Oh, so they can always follow the Instagram at your fave trash man. Um, well, at underscore your fate trash man. But they can also, um, if they want to help out on the campaign, if they want to do anything, they can go to yafayforphilly.com, which is Y-A-F-A-V, 
F-O-R-Philly.com. They could sign up to volunteer. They could donate. They could read my bio. And we're going to slowly start plugging some things out there. I have some fundraisers coming up. So they just want to stay plugged in. And I'm always going to be in community. I have about 20 cleanups planned between now and May. And, um, you know, catch me at Target or Walmart or (laughs) or, or on Board Street. I'm always around. Something tells me you're always at Target or Walmart. I I am addicted to Target. They need to give me a sponsorship. Aren't we all, right? (laughs) All right, Terrell Hagler, thank you so much for joining us in Bridging Philly. Uh, Thanks for having me. Back to Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. The Philly Rising Changemaker is sponsored by Penn Medicine Heart and Vascular Center, performing the most advanced heart procedures in the region. I'm Charity Howard with this week's Philly Rising Changemaker. This community leader is setting a new precedent in the black and brown communities, teaching the art of alternative healing by reintroducing struggling communities like hers, hit hard by the rising gun violence. How to once again embrace their history through agriculture and connection. That's the mission of Erica Johnson, our Philly Rising Changemaker of the week. Our hands are in the earth. Philly has a thriving agriculture scene and Erica Johnson, owner of collective artistry in Germantown says she comes from a long line of women with green thumbs. I'm a plants woman, all taught by my mother and her mother. And she's been working with plants as a way of healing long before it was trending. And now she's working to reintroduce people of color to what she says is a cultural art form. Finding healing for the individual as well as the community by spiritually reconnecting with the earth through gardening, crystals, and self-awareness. You have to be able to know where you come from. Even if you don't know your direct heritage or tribe, our people tilled the land over in Africa, and when we were slaves, we tilled the land. So when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, Johnson pivoted, taking her hobby of gardening to the next level by opening her own business. I don't have a practicing religion. This business is an extension of my spirituality, what I've learned from my mother and her mother, what has been handed down. And she says that's what the community is missing, and it's evident in the increase in gun violence in struggling communities. So through collective artistry, she's hoping to find a solution to what she says has been a growing problem in her community. What I didn't know is that I knew how to teach what I've been doing for years to get on the path of healing through crystals, plants, to develop their own artistic craftsmanship. It's very important for our people to see each other helping one another. You know, when we are faced with something different, we clam up, we are afraid to open up. But when we see someone that we that we look alike, we look like each other, we have led the same, pretty much the same lives growing up, our culture. See, life is not about getting through it. You have to maneuver your way around life. And it's not just for our culture. Black, brown, you know, all people need help on that journey. And she says collective artistry is not just a place for learning. It's a place of refuge. The shop offers a safe space to anyone who needs a mental break, who needs a moment to stop and to take a breath and be safe and to think a moment. A lot of times since COVID, everybody's been going back and forth trying to feed their family, trying to find work, and you're afraid. When you come here, the first thing you do, you take a deep breath and you say, well, wait a minute, where am I? 
so by connecting people to the earth, she's hoping to connect them back to themselves. You know, collective artistry is an experience. When you come in, all your senses are activated. Smell, sight, hearing, touch. So everything is going to hit you at once to where it's going to make you stop to pay attention. Pay attention to what? Pay attention to your feelings and to yourself. You know, once you step in, every outside uh, noise, I guess if you will, it, it'll stop because it'll cause you to focus on what's going on because, yeah, you see the plants and you see the crystals, but you're also going to see color. You're also going to see uh, words of affirmation. You're going to feel the warmth and you may hear music. I'm always playing music. I play music that beats your muscles that beat your, you know, it's not crazy, but it's soothing, it's rhythmic, you know, so you're comfortable and safe. So she says she's answering a call from her ancestors to give more than she takes. I am here to be of assistance to my community. Collective Artistry is located along the newly renovated historic Maplewood Mall in Germantown. Well, that's it for this week's Philly Rising Changemaker of the Week. If you know anyone making a difference in your community, please reach out to us at kywnewsradio.com slash Philly Rising. I'd like to highlight the next change maker who just might be from your neighborhood. Thanks for joining us for Bridging Philly, brought to you by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Be sure to connect with us on Twitter at Bridging Philly and with me at Raquel on Air. And of course, please subscribe to the podcast. For Antoinette Lee, Sharaday Howard, and our podcast producer, Tom Rickert, I'm Raquel Williams. Be well.